Hey everybody, thank you for listening. Welcome to Game Go, a podcast where we talk about video games and whatever else we want. I'm your host, Hatebit Hero, and your other host, Sonorith. Hey! Um, yeah, we want to get right into it this time. Uh, so, turns out that they're, we're being spied on. Uh, last week, if you remember, I mentioned that they should put all the zombie maps together from the Call of Duty series. Getting the tin hats ready now. Yeah. Uh, turns out they're following exactly what I suggested. They are releasing the Call of Duty Zombies Chronicles update, or DLC, for Black Ops 3. It's going to be DLC. It's a it's a 30, roughly $30, $35 pack. Um, we'll find out. Well, the price will be announced by the time you hear this, and we'll update next week. Uh, it's going to be 8 zombie maps from the World at War, Black Ops 1, and Black Ops 2 games. And uh, it's basically the entire arc of the, the Nazi zombie storyline. They've all been following a big story, and this will bring it all up to Black Ops 3. It's good news if, if you're kind of worried about missing some of the more important details. Like, I I knew from Black Ops 1 upward that there was a story. I didn't play World at War, though, so this is a good opportunity for people to catch up. Uh, it'll be out May 16th for PS4. The other consoles, PC and Xbox One, will be getting it later because uh, I believe Sony has that deal with Activision for earlier DLC. Them and their exclusive time releases. Yes, the important thing here is that they are definitely spying on us, uh, so, you know, we're going to have to do something about that. Mm-hmm. Stop your recording devices, all of them. Darksiders 3 has been confirmed in development uh, from Gunfire Games and publisher THQ Nordic. Uh, according to Amazon, they've got a release of 2018. You know they're reliable because they're the ones who first leak it. <laughs> Fury is going to be the next horseman we play as. Um... I was upset about this on the last episode, but it turns out uh, this story was using different uh, horsemen to begin with anyway. They replaced the last two. Yeah. Uh, Fury Strife replacing uh, Pestilence and... Famine. And Famine. Um, her main weapon is going to be a whip, which uh, in the... We got to note, all our, all our comments on it are based on the uh, pre-alpha 12-minute gameplay build that they released. It's up on YouTube. Um, she's using a whip for most of the game. Eh, not too exciting or anything. It looks like it does any other basic function. It's the, it's the main weapon. Yeah. Um, it was disappointing not to see the blades on her back. They were not used in the demo, at least. And considering how much they're talking about how she's going to be a mage, there wasn't a whole lot of magic being used either. Um, most of the combat was... Restricted to uh, the only the whip. Yeah, it seemed it seemed like a pretty basic fighting. Um, I'm hoping either because it's pre alpha or it's just really early in the game that that's just why we didn't see a whole lot of variety. And hopefully, you know, later in the game it'll open up a little more. It was a like I said, 12 minute clip towards what the middle six minutes, eight minute mark, somewhere around there. Uh, sloth boss fight. That was literally like I was repulsed watching that thing it's it they did a really good job yeah uh and just to bring everyone up to speed she is fighting the seven deadly sins uh in the game so sloth was the first the one that we saw in the uh in the trailer there yeah he was pretty disgusting he uh he had like an insect body but it it looked good enough that i was disgusted the whole time yeah like they got the sheen where when you've seen a bug or a beetle up close you've seen that kind of weird gross reflection (sighs) And just the composition of its body. He's got a bunch of those, like, pustules. 
on his like gut slash lower chest. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty interesting uh, uh, boss fight considering that he's a big heavy guy. He's being carried by a bunch of minions. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, well, while we were watching it, Sana was saying it was reminiscent of the uh, of what, what was the boss, the jellyfish boss from, uh, from Lord Jabba Jabba's belly in Ocarina of Time, where you have to take out the outer enemies, the outer little minions before you can get to the core. It's kind of the same idea there. It's pretty awesome to see that redone. The way they did it, a bunch of little, what are they, crabs? It looks like beetles or something. Slot's subtitle was Lord of the Flies, so I'm assuming there's some sort of insects that serve him. Okay. Uh, yeah, they look crustaceous in nature. That's why I thought crabs, mm, but yeah. you know that makes a lot more sense. To, they're bugs. Uh, but yeah, they were carrying him around on their back. It's pretty. <laughs> is that, that was pretty cool. Uh, Taking them down one by one would you know, slow down his movement and eventually drop the uh, the throne platform that he's sitting on. And then, yeah, he exposes his big, gross, like, slug-for-a-butt-like thing. Yeah. Yeah, that thing was gross. What are those? The, the abdomen? Thorax. 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 Yeah. There we go. That's, <laughs> yeah, we were cringing the whole time. The fight itself didn't really seem all that um, interesting. Like, the, the character was just attacking him and then dodging attacks. Uh, hopefully that's... Gets polished later and that's, on. That's the second uh, segment. Like I said, the first half was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it seemed disgusting, <laughs> but um, in a in a good way. Like, it, it definitely, like... It's been a long time since I kind of wanted to just, like, no, like, let's stop. I Let's not keep watching this. <laughs> right. Which means that they're doing good, I guess. Yeah, it's a pre-alpha build, so, I mean, hopefully later on they'll have a little more polish on it. Maybe some, day, you know actual mechanics to the fight but uh, other than that it wasn't too remarkable it just looked pretty yeah i'm wondering how much better it's going to end up looking after it goes through the pre-alpha yeah it's scrubbed up and polished up a little bit recent updates outlast 2 which was released april 25th by developer and publisher red metal studio is getting an update you play as an investigator armed with only a camera so your night vision is extremely important because you're walking around very, very dimly lit, barely lit, or unlit rooms throughout the game. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty creepy. The uh, update lowers the difficulty in quote-unquote key areas and moments. To quote the dev, While the launch of Outlast 2 has been a commercial success, we have kept a close eye on the feedback from countless community members, Let's Players, and reviews. Today's patch introduces some minor adjustments on the game's difficulty in key areas and moments. On normal difficulty, this will offer players a more appropriately balanced experience while still maintaining higher levels of challenge on hard and nightmare difficulties. It's pretty vague. Yeah, it's kind of vague there. There's a bunch of bug also minor fixes uh, in the list. The other major bit of it is the in-game mic will no longer be using extra batteries. The night vision is vital to the gameplay and the night vision drains the battery so it's going to alleviate the use of that for players. I have to edit it. Yeah, um, I played the first one. It was pretty creepy, <laughs> and I played on the PS4. So like the light bar on the back, it would uh, on the controller, it would it would glow green whenever you activated night vision, um, which was kind of immersive. It was pretty cool. But uh, here, this one's just as good um, and just as scary, if not more so. So hopefully, I can pick it up and get through it. Because I was terrified of the first one. Yeah, I need to stream one of these soon, very soon. Yeah, they 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 seem like perfect for that kind of uh, uh, you know, let's plays. Um, 
Medium. Yes. Uh, in other news, though, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is also getting an update. It's uh, version 1.2, and this is, of course, the Guerrilla Games uh, project that I mentioned uh, like a week ago or two. Mm-hmm, the project. Um, yeah. They are adding a... Well, they're fixing a bunch of bugs, but the one of the more like prominent features is that they're adding features to photo mode, which photo mode is you can like pause the game and then like manipulate the camera, the time of day. Like There's a lot of stuff you can do to kind of get a cool shot that you wouldn't like just playing normally. It's becoming a standard in these games looking as good as they are now. Well, and it's for good reason too because like games like Infamous, uh, Second Son, and this one, Last of Us, I think Uncharted has it now. Um, these games look great when you're, you know, in, in the screenshots, when they're showing the game off before it comes out. And um, then you're playing it and something kind of gets lost when, when there's so many details going on at the same time. So this kind of lets you like really focus on things and really, and, and like kind of, uh, appreciate how they look, you know, when it's on your screen, you know. Um, Having only seen so many screenshots uh, or of it in use, it, it looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's great. And people get really artsy with it. Like, they can do black and white vignettes or, like, really cool action shots. Um, I have a few from Infamous that uh, I think are pretty cool. Maybe I'm I'll... actually following Aloy on her Instagram. And damn, dude, just... Likes everywhere. <laughs> yeah, those selfies. Uh, actually, you you can kind of take a selfie now. You can. Uh, they added the ability to uh, for ha- to have her face the camera. Uh, I'm not sure if that's like if she's running and she'll look at the camera, or if if her whole body will turn. You know, um, we'll find out a little more when that goes live. They're also adding a new a few new filters and some poses and facial expressions. So I think you can make her smile or or look more like combat ready and intense um Just something that isn't easy to do yeah and i think there's one where she's like lying on her back and the example was she's lying in 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 like vegetation like just relaxing so that that could be cool um to kind of play around with and if you haven't tried these photo modes in these games i suggest you give it like a little time because it it is cool to see like these small details that you wouldn't notice otherwise in these games that you're playing um another thing they're adding which is cool for some Latin American fans, they're adding Spanish subtitles, and on top of that, you can even download a Spanish voice pack from the uh, PlayStation Store. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. I, I might check it out just to see how the quality of the voiceovers, you know? Um, yeah, and, and that seems to be really the gist of the uh, update. But it, it, it's substantial. That's a pretty sweet update right there. Very considerate. Uh, yeah. I wonder... I don't know that I've seen this anywhere else where you can download uh, voiceover packs... But this is a very, this is really cool. If it better become a trend, you know, that'd be nice. Yeah, if it's done well, because I mean, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that it is, but you just never know. Sometimes they'll just half-ass it and throw it up there. But uh, you know, it's Guerrilla Games. I'm I'm sure they really tried. Right. <clears throat> yeah. No overviews this week, not in depth anyway. I got to try a little bit of Bye Bye Box Boy recently. That came out on April 12th, so it's not too new, but it's still fun. Good times, worth my uh, penny, worth every single little bit of it. Yeah, um, I couldn't get my hands on anything new this week. Uh, I did play a lot of Heroes of the Storm. Like I said, the Nexus Challenge is still going on for like the next two weeks. Um, I found a few characters that I like, but you have to like level... A lot of characters to really get your player level up, which is what gets you the loot boxes. Okay. Uh, for instance, like a level five character takes a lot more experience than a level one character to level up. Uh, but I did get those challenges knocked out, five matches with a friend. Um, and next week, I'm looking forward to doing that again. Like it, it's fun and it's a quick like 
little diversion, especially if you've been playing Overwatch a lot, like I, you and I have. Right. Um, you can take a break from that and kind of do something different. And now that they're adding Overwatch characters to Heroes of the Storm, you still kind of get that like old taste of home while mm-hmm. you're still enjoying something new. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, don't forget to play those matches if you're if you're enjoying Heroes of the Storm, and uh, you'll get free stuff for both games. But a game that is coming out soon, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Injustice 2. Yeah, you're uh, a big fan of these. Yeah, I loved the first one. I even played the phone one for a bit, even though it's not too <sighs> similar. Um, yeah, it's by NetherRealm Studios. It's published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, and it's the same studio that made like the Arkham series. But um, this is basically Mortal Kombat with uh, DC characters. Yeah. They're not going to get super violent. They're not going to rip each other's heads off on a fatality or anything. But it's still cool to see Green Lantern like beating the crap out of Superman or... Like, I think in the first game you had Solomon Grundy, or no, even Bane, like, just smashing Batman over his knee like he does in the comic and mm-hmm. movie. Um, this is going to come out May 16th, so it's about a little over a week away. And it'll continue the story of the first game, which in case you didn't play the first one, you're not missing too much. I mean, it's it's actually a decent story, but it's a fighting game, so it's 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 basically Superman goes rogue and then everybody has to stop him. Some people join him, some people don't, and it basically becomes a civil war with some alternate Earth stuff getting mixed in there. Um, Who goes against Superman? Batman. Pretty much all the normal people went up against him, like Green Arrow did. I think Black Canary, uh, Huntress. There, there, there were Lex Luthor even. He pretended to be Superman's ally for this. Ah. And he he was working to help Batman and the normal humans like. But they both have money, so that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, even characters, well, like, <laughs> uh, Huntress, as far as I know, she's not a super rich billionaire playboy or girl. Um, they but they, can, She can be whatever she wants to be. <laughs> yeah. They're adding new characters to this one. They're adding the Red Lantern leader, Atrocitus. Uh, they're adding Cheetah, Scarecrow, who was in the first game kind of as a transition, and if you knock somebody off the edge of the stage, he would, like, attack them and then throw them back in. Um... Yeah, they're adding, like, Blue Beetle, Captain Cold, Deadshot, which I think is attributed to his uh, Suicide Squad popularity. And then they're still... They're, they're bringing back the Joker differently because of stuff that happened in the first game. I'm not sure what the story is there, but uh, it looks interesting. They're adding some new uh, a new ability where you can tech out of a combo if you use a part of your meter. Um, so you'll be able to roll out of a combo, or if you're in midair, you can basically just jump out of it. If they know you're going to do it, though, then they'll just catch you in another combo. Like, you can... You always fake them out. Yeah, it becomes this, uh, this um, like, kind of a mind game thing where you're like, do you, does he know what I'm going to do or does do they know what I'm going to do next? Um, but the big thing they're selling in this game is customization. And I'm a huge fan of this because I always like the multiverse stuff, so this is kind of, like, up my alley. Um, as you're playing characters in, in, like, the multiverse mode, which is basically, like, special matches with special conditions or handicaps, um, you'll be able to earn gear for a character and you can level up the character. So, for instance, Green Lantern, who is my favorite, I'll be able to change his mask into, like, a helmet or something or his his chest piece will have more armor on it or it'll look different or you can even change the color of the character. I know Superman has, like, a, a teal, white, and red color scheme instead of the traditional uh, red, yellow, blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman has one that instead of being yellow and black, it's uh, it's like red and black, or like I think there's probably gonna be an animated series one that's like blue and light gray. Okay. Um, so for me, that that's kind of stuff is really cool, and some of the gear the gear will add stats to the character, which if you like playing them a certain way, I think that'll really make it more fun. 
which you don't need to do on, online. You, if you don't want, if you want a fair fight, you can always turn those off so that it's just cosmetic only, which is still cool. Um, some of the stuff I've seen, it, it just it makes the characters that you know and love look a little different, and it adds like this cool thing where if you're playing online, you're like, what kind of characters am I going to see that I didn't know that they had this stuff? Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but I think you were looking for uh, forward to another fighting game, right? No, I wasn't. <clears throat> but I'm sure as hell going to cover it. <laughs> what What is it? Uh, Tekken 7 by developer and publisher Bandai Namco. I don't think, you know, not too many people have heard of these guys. They're pretty underground. Just up and coming. Uh, game comes out June 2nd. It's been out in Japan as an arcade for how long? Uh, I think it was a... Uh, like two years. Two years already. I didn't even know this was still a thing. Like, I heard about this... Last the last I heard about this was with uh, Street Fighter Four. But that was like, like Street Fighter Five. I don't think it even went to arcades, so I was surprised to see that Tekken Seven actually did. Good to see that there's still uh, some kind of thriving arcade community somewhere. The version we're gonna get is going to be plainly named Tekken Seven, but it is the faded retribution version of the two arcade games, which is the second of the two. Uh, it's going to include two major uh, gameplay mechanics that are new. One is the rage art. Normally, characters get an attack bonus once they've hit a critical HP. This is going to give the player the option to cancel that and exchange it for about a thirty per, an attack that does about 30% damage. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty big... That can be a pretty big, huge game changer. 30% is nothing to scoff at, especially when, like, little ticks can make all the difference in, in uh, games like these when you get to the competitive level. Yeah, I'm wondering how hard it's going to be to land that. Uh, the power crush, it, uh, the definition wasn't entirely clear, but what it sounds like is that it's going to give you basically uninterruptible attacks. Uh, starting an attack, you're not going to get any knockback from it. Um, you still take all the damage as you would in like the first hit of the, uh, of a focus attack in Street Fighter 4 or, um, Little Max, uh, hyper armor. You're still going to take the damage, but you're not going to get knocked back from it, which is pretty awesome if you want to guarantee, you know, a startup to a combo. But you got to know that it only blocks upper and mid attacks. You're still open to low attacks. So there's still a, it's not completely. Broken. Yeah, you can't just use that to win. Yeah, they're not going to let you get cheap about it. That's good. I mean, it's, I've never ever been a huge Tekken fan. But it's cool that it still has, like, the arcade presence over there, you know? Yeah. Especially considering, like, that it's, arcades are a dying breed. dying. Yeah, they, they are getting shut down. It's, I remember reading a Kotaku article about, like, uh, arcade graveyards. Oh, no. Just abandoned. Machines? Uh, yeah, like, the no, like, arcades entirely. Oh, God. Like, just the, their lease was up. They couldn't pay because they're getting that unpopular. And wow. so, yeah, they just leave everything in there. It's so depressing, sad. Yeah, I mean, considering how much time we spent, like, when we were younger, like, like I mean, Chuck E. Cheese is probably, like, the most popular arcade now. Oh, except, except Round 1 is coming around. Have you you've heard about that? I have. Yeah, it, it's just, like, a lot of, well, a lot of imported games, but then there's also just some stuff that's straight-up fighting games. Uh-huh. Um, that seems pretty cool, and hopefully that keeps arcades alive, because some of those games that you only find at arcades are pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, it's cool that Tekken's still keeping that going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Minecraft Switch Edition is coming soon from yeah. uh, developer and publisher Mojang. 
It's going to come out at a $30 price tag May 11th. Uh, that's only in a couple, as that should be about three days after we release this uh, particular recording. It's going to come out with a Mario texture pack, along with an entire Mario world, which uh, is just going to have random Mario-themed things going about the world, characters running around, uh, various Mario items, like question mark boxes, the sun from Mario 3. They're just going to make appearances. They're going to be all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I saw the Koopas, I think, are this world's sheep. So if you shear the sheep, it takes the Koopa shell off of, off of the... I want... Lemmy's Cooper Shell. I don't know if you can get his specifically, but I think there's going to be like 40 skins from the Mario franchise. So I think the Koopalings are among those skins that you can play as. Uh, I think the Goombas are chickens. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool to see like them do stuff with these these characters and, and shove them in places that you wouldn't necessarily like see or, or think of firsthand. It's really nice to see them be just ever since Mario started meeting up with Sonic, who was his rival, like just that at the Olympics. Open, yeah, at the Olympics, that they started opening up Mario to get used with other franchises. Pretty nice. Yeah, like those rabbits, huh? <sighs> just like the rabbits. You know, we haven't seen anything about it yet. Let's reserve judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, something we can judge, however, is the new Fire Emblem Echoes: Shadows of Valentia. I think it's called. Um, well, we can't judge the. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. The season pass has been announced, and it's going to cost $45. That we can pass judgment on. Yes, because the game itself is $40. The season pass is $5 more than the base title. Yeah. If you wanted to get both at the same time, you'd be paying more than double the price. I, I don't... Like, it comes with five DLCs, and they're not all going to be, like, 9 to $10. Some of them are 15 some are 5 So, I mean, it, this might be better to kind of pick and choose the ones you want. And they're adding a character that you normally wouldn't get in the campaign. And I think they're adding some weapons and maps that you, I mean, obviously maps. But, you know, I, I don't know if it's worth it. I played some of um, the one for Fire Emblem Awakening. I got one of the two, one or two of the DLC maps for that. And they were okay. I mean, they were just there to grind to level up. But okay. it wasn't really worth it. So we'll see uh, if the fans think this one is, is worth the price tag. I want to catch up, so I'm going through that one right now. And then I have Birthright ready to go next. Oh, you're going through Awakening right now? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that one's good. It was fun, and especially because the last one I played was The Sacred Stones, I think, mm-hmm. for Game Boy Advance. And oh, it, wow. it, the series has come a long way, so it's good yeah. to see that they're not just staying in one place and they're actually making improvements to it. The game's going to be out May 19th, and that is uh, by developer Intelligent Systems and obviously publisher Nintendo. Before we go any further, we want to make a couple of shout-outs to commenters and uh, people who have been helping us and been wildly supportive of our Game Go podcast. Thank you guys very much. This goes out to you, Cheyenne, Benny, Favi, Devin, Ray, Amanda, Jeffy Jeff, Rolando, George, my mom, Andrew, Tanya, Taylor, Nicole, Tim, and G whose name I don't have, but he's from work. <laughs> Thank you all very much for uh, your help, support, tips, uh, your subscribes, your likes, the whole bit. Yeah, we uh, really appreciate everything you guys are doing for us. Um, everybody else, you know, keep it up. <laughs> if you guys actually, if you guys could just like leave a, a good review or something on iTunes or the Google Play Store or wherever you're, you're listening to this, that would actually help a lot. That helps us get our foot in the door for other people to 
to find us by accident, you know? High ratings, high likes, high shares. Please, we're asking for all of it. Thank you very much. All right, so with those formalities out of the way, we wanted to get into the really nitty-gritty topic of this uh, episode, which is we wanted to discuss the difficulty in games, um, not just recently, but, like, dating back as far as 30 years even, uh, in regards to how much the game tries to help you to beat it. And um, I wanted to talk about this because I recently platinumed Horizon Zero Dawn, which I mentioned uh, in a few episodes and it didn't feel like the game was really holding my hand. Like I mentioned in my review here on the podcast and on the website on GameGoPodcast.com, the game did it in such a way that it felt like it was teaching you without really being condescending about it, where it's constantly reminding you how to do something. Um, I think a game that's a good example of that is Assassin's Creed or the Arkham series, uh, the Batman Arkham series. They constantly are telling you how to do something that you've done like a hundred times over and over again. And really, if... If that doesn't, if you don't clearly understand how to do it, that's not always your fault. I feel like sometimes that instruction can get a little muddled on the developer's part. If you tell me to jump away from a wall by holding down and jumping, I understand that. And if I'm in a situation where I do what I think I'm supposed to do and it doesn't work out, then either I messed up or the way that it's presented on the screen, the situation, is a little unclear. I don't need a hundred reminders telling me, you just jump away from the wall or just jump up to the next ledge, you know? Horizon Zero Dawn, there's a lot of situations where you're you're climbing things and it doesn't always, it doesn't remind you every single time. Right. Yeah. Um, instead, it just focuses on the cool slow-mo jumps that she does sometimes and she'll like, you know, like a cliffhanger. It's pretty cool. I feel like some, and it's not all new games, it's not all old games that do one thing or the other. Like the original Zelda, that game just threw you into the world and was like, good luck, kid. And now, and specifically with the Zelda series, once it got into 3D, I understand why at first it needed that kind of transition. There was It was very tutorial heavy because it was a 3D world and that's not something that people were used to, you know? The N64, the it came with this weird Trident controller, had a bunch of buttons that I rarely even used. <sighs> I never used like the left ha- half of that control unless it was for like Pokemon Stadium which specifically needed the D-pad. I remember seeing the trailer and <laughs> it said, a 3D controller for a 3D world. It's like, <laughs> controllers before were presented in the exact same amount of dimensions, bruv. Um, yeah. Uh, Ocarina of Time started the Zelda series on an unfortunate trend of just giving you way too much to like have to skip through and just keep tapping the A button to get through all the dialogue. I think, uh, what was it? Um, Twilight Princess had like five hours of tutorial, it seems like. It's actually only about three to four hours, which is only. still... Yeah, right? It's excessive in, in any case. Uh, the most egregious offender of the tutorializing, of the heavy over-tutorializing, is like common sense, guys. This is not needed in any way, was a Skyward Sword. It had some <laughs> solid gameplay, and the one-to-one was great, but I didn't need to be reminded of anything a second time ever let alone every goddamn time I turned on and off that game. Yeah. Every time that you hit the start button, went through the main menu, loaded your file, it acted like it was the first time you ever played the damn game again. And every <laughs> time that you pick up a new item, no, sorry, an item for the first time again, 
I don't know, okay, maybe I'm, I'd be exaggerating with, like, a heart flower. I don't think it went that bad. Oh, no. But no. literally, like, if you got the, if you picked up a purple rupee again for the first time within that play session, you were going to go through the little thing that explained to you how much it was and that you had a beaming thing on your face. As opposed to before, where it would only do that with a treasure chest. And it wouldn't, you wouldn't get that recurring again. Uh, I feel like maybe the, one or two things they could have done. One is... Have that option turned off. Like if you're if you're if your child is playing the game and they're like, okay, they need constant reminders, then yeah, turn that on. Like that that is what that is for, for kids that that need the the helping hand. You know. Yeah, those the the heavy tutorializing is meant to make sure that people who already feel alienated by video games aren't so much so. Yeah, it comes off as condescending, <laughs> to yep. be perfectly frank. Really, um, the does. other the other option I was thinking. Th- these things, the games nowadays, they have like built-in clocks on the on the consoles. They could have done something so that if it's been more than a month since the last time you played, here's a brief reminder. This is what all these things do. If, if, like that, that, if that was a thing that only happened because I stopped playing it for a year, I'm that is totally fine. I'm not gonna freak out. But this thing was every single time. It, it got to the point where you're like, I don't want to stop playing or turn it off. Just so I don't have to go through all these reminders the next time I want to get rupees or monster guts or whatever it is I find. God forbid you happen to be, like, hunting for items or farming items between, like, between different days, you know, like, in in real life. Because <laughs> then, yeah, you're going to read all of those material descriptions again and again and again. And I'm, like, okay, let's say you start playing and you load your file, you're going to see these things. Now you want to go get something to eat, you leave, you turn off the thing, you're go- you come back, you're going to read those same descriptions again. That's how bad this is. Yes, and to get back on track uh, with the point, this game was probably the worst example of Zelda being a hand-holding, over-involved series. Where... That's not even mentioning Fee, I forgot. Like, yeah, she's that's the one just, that's, yeah. That's just talking about, that's <laughs> in-game descriptions. That's yes, not Fee telling you. That's true, okay. Then you include the stuff that Fee actually tells you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, your battery's low, by the way. Hey, you've been playing for two hours. Why don't you take a break? <laughs> also, your battery is still low. <laughs> uh, and then the voice that she had wasn't like... It was not for as much as you're going to hear her. Just don't <laughs> give her a damn voice. Yeah. Um, she came off as annoying rather than actually helpful. I don't think I ever needed her advice. It was like in uh, Ocarina of Time, I think, did a better job with Nebby. It was annoying having the, hey, listen. But at least when you needed her, you're like, oh, hey, like, what about this boss? Is there something specific I need to do? In case you were stuck. With her, it seemed like she was offering advice whether or not you wanted it. And again, that, that comes off as like, this guy doesn't know any better. I better help him out. (laughs) I'm the hero of time, all right? I think I know what I'm doing. Um, But like I said, this is probably the worst defender of the Zelda series. And what we wanted, well, ideally, we got Breath of the Wild, which I think is a perfect medium. We are going to get a little more into the, the opposite end of the spectrum where the games don't explain anything to you. But for now, Zelda Breath of the Wild is a great middle ground where the game... It does drop you into the middle of the world, and it doesn't explain everything to you, but it does give you enough. And the tutorial is, I wouldn't even consider a tutorial because it felt like Ocarina of Time again, where you're exploring the world and you have to learn things again. But it doesn't do it in a way that, like, it treats you like a baby that doesn't know what you're doing. Like, this isn't the first time I've seen Zelda. This isn't the first time I've held a control. This is This world is out there, and if I bought this game, I, I am generally 
uh, sufficient enough to use a freaking stick, uh, an analog stick. This is not my first foray into a game. <laughs> and even if it is, even if it is, these are very, very intuitive things that at this point in our <laughs> in our history, yeah. like the this is a, you see a control stick, a person knows. Oh, okay, that's gonna move something. Yeah, uh, I want to give a specific example. Um, near the beginning of Breath of the Wild, there's a point where you have to go to a, a shrine, a puzzle to get um, a new ability, and to get up there, it's it's freezing cold up there, so Link will freeze to death if you don't get the proper take the proper precautions. Um, I didn't even know you could do this. I, what I did is I used an axe to cut down a tree to cross a river to find peppers and I think a warm shirt, and that was enough to get me up there. Uh, I lent the game to Cheyenne, my um, girlfriend's sister, and she found a house that said if you cook a certain thing, then you'll be rewarded with this. And she ended up finding a pig and hunting it for hours. Um, and she eventually got it. She she made the meal, and she was rewarded with a set of clothes that kept her warm. And this is two people not being told what to do, finding two separate solutions for, for this problem. And this is something you're only going to see if you don't put blinders on people and just force them through the same tutorial, the same condescending instructions that they don't need. Um, Another great example in Zelda is that there's an entire subset now, a subculture where people are, they're shrine skipping. And it's, it's a practice where you basically play with the game's physics in a legitimate way. You're not glitching anything. You skip over the intended solution for the puzzle. Yeah, and it's cool opposed- to yeah, it's cool to see people doing this because it's like if you had put hard limits on the game, people would not have done this, and it's cool to see the ingenuity that people display. Right, the flexibility that their new reliance on physics gives them, it lets you play around and trick this world. Where in the past they were attempting really to, uh, they were very rigid, and things were in a very set place for very specific reasons. And if you found a way to circumvent those things, you weren't you weren't outdoing the game. You broke the game. Yeah. You glitched out and and just broke the rule of the game. Whereas right here, this seems a lot more legitimate because yeah. it's using the rules that they, you're still completely bound by the game's rules. Using those to circumvent the thing that the game wants you to do. Yeah, I saw a gif of uh, Nick Robinson of Polygon. He there's a there's a dungeon where you have to use a metal uh, find an electric orb and drop it into a slot so that it powers up a gate you can get through. There's two orbs and so you need to power both of them up to uh, to get through the gate. What Nick Robinson did is instead he dropped a bunch of metal weapons and he lined them up so the current would travel from one yeah. orb to both gates. Okay, I know which one he's talking about. Yeah, or one of the types. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think this is a good example of. And hopefully this is something that, that they've learned their mistakes. They don't want to be holding the player's hand through every step of the way. Breath of the Wild is a perfect example, in, in my opinion at least, of of a good middle ground. And there's a few other games too that, that I think um, follow that, that same, uh, I, don't, I don't know, a guided experience that's not, shoot, what do you call it? A guided sandbox. No. I don't know. It's hard to give a word for that good mix in between, which is what you're looking for. It's yeah. It's not. It's not without its aid. You still should know your general, generally, what your next goal should be, what your next objective should be, but you're also not at all told how to do any of it. 
just hey get to this point and just make things happen do it yeah that's that <laughs> it's not to say that these games are bad assassin's creed is is a fun franchise it just keeps reminding you of things that you already know how to do yeah, same thing again. with the arkham series um the call of duty franchise this is a this is a series of games that's aimed at it's it's rated m Mm-hmm. For for violence and you know, there's a lot of guns, a lot of explosions, and and swearing. Like yeah, this so is not a game for kids. The intended age is going to be a little bit higher. So it stumps me why the campaign feels the need to constantly tell you where to be. Like follow this guy all the way to the end of the level. Like go here, go here, go here, go here. And and it's like just just put me in the world. I'll find my own way. You know, like, where the bad guys are coming from, that's probably where I'm going. You know, they're trying to stop me from getting to the other side of that. That's probably where I'm trying to trying to go. Um, a like game said, like that is trying to make you feel cool by doing everything. But it takes it away when somebody is telling you step for step how to do everything. It reminds me of that commercial um, where the kid gets on the roller coaster and it's the Michael Vick experience. And it's carrying him in a harness. Uh-huh. And he it's like a simulation of a, a football game. So okay. then the, the little harness starts, like, flipping him like he's Michael Vick, like, juking players. Right. He did this thing, but only because he was brought along for the ride. Okay. Um, But, like I said, these aren't bad games. It's just a bad practice, I think. On the other end, you have games that will just throw you into the world and don't really give you all that much explanation on, on pretty much anything. Like, um, uh, I mentioned this game last week. It applies here. The Binding of Isaac. Um our resident expert, Jeffy Jeff, I asked, <laughs> I asked him about it, and he actually had a, a pretty good explanation, and I concur. I, I did play some of the game, so I know what, a little what he's talking about. When you start the game, it just drops you into a dungeon, and the kid's, like, crying naked on the floor, and in the in on the tile, like, on the floor of the game, it's like, here's how you move, here's how you shoot, and then go at it, you yeah, know? Yeah, there's <clears throat> a door, two doors, there's doors to go yes. through, and go. Past, beyond that... <laughs> When you find an upgrade, you don't know if it's an actual upgrade. Um, some of the upgrades will override each other, but you don't know what any of them does until you've picked it up and tried it. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you might have a really big tier that does extra damage to your bullets. Um, yeah, yeah, the regular attacks are tiers. But sometimes you'll pick up an item that gets rid of that, and that's not always a good thing. Sometimes you do get a better upgrade, but it's you're learning about the game as you're playing it. Um in, in a high-stakes situation, like, if you don't get it, you're going to die and you're going to start over, which is, is fine. That's gonna, that's what the game is intended for you to keep dying and trying again and again. But you're learning more and more. You're getting more information that you're going to be able to put to good use. And the same thing with uh, some of the, the items you'll be able to use. Like, there's pills. One of them will take you to, like, a healing uh, area. One of them will hurt you. Uh, one of them will just, like, power up your attacks or kill all the enemies it's something that you have to experiment with and, and practice. Um, he, like I said, he was defending this game pretty passionately, um, and he thought this was a great example of a game that just drops you off without really telling you much of, of whatever you need to know to get through it. It's just you and what you can learn through the gameplay. A good example of the past throwing you straight into the deep end is something like Contra, where in the first screen, you don't have too much going on, but you got enough to pressure you to, like, start moving. You sit there for a couple of seconds, and the first soldier is already running, gonna about to tackle you down. So you're either going to have to jump out of his way, shoot him, or something, but it forces you to act. Through that, and the next maybe two or three screens, you start learning, oh, I can shoot downward because they start placing enemies below you. 
then uh, also that you're going to have to jump because uh, if you keep pressing forward, the exploding bridge, which happens like within the first 10 seconds of the game, if you just <laughs> keep uh, trudging on, that's going to teach you, yeah, you're going to have to jump. Just running across it, you don't make it fast enough. And then, uh, you know, you fall down into the water. To escape the water, you're going to have to press something else to figure out what do I do. These, this, this was a pretty good way of making it not condescending because everything there, you can still game over within the first couple of seconds of that game. You're that vulnerable. But mm-hmm. it's also not so difficult that you shouldn't be able to beat or get past at least the first half of the first level within maybe uh, two or three lives. Maybe get a game over. Okay, but now I, I know better. Yeah, um, that actually reminds me a lot of um, Mega Man X, specifically. Um, mm-hmm. If you've seen Eagle Raptor's sequelitis video regarding the series, he mentions that a lot of what you need to know to play the game is taught to you, not by tutorials and then nagging uh, companions, but like by just going through the level. You know, you're just you're by yourself at the beginning. You're gonna figure out you can move just just by pushing buttons on the control. You're gonna figure out you can shoot. Uh, the first time you have to wall jump, there's a lot of context clues given, and in the game, teaches you all these things without actually saying, just push jump, uh, push the jump button when you're up against the wall to jump. No, this is something that I mean, maybe you have the manual, but nowadays, like, it's something you have to figure out on your own, and it, it's not condescending. And you actually do get a small sense of accomplishment by like, okay, I figured out all these things by myself, and that's something that we take for granted now that now that we're older and that we've been playing games a lot. But for people that are younger, for, for people that this is like Mega Man X is their first game, this is a great tool to teach them how to observe what the game is throwing at you and, and contextualize it in a way that lets you learn the controls, that lets you learn how to, to play. Um, Shovel Knight follows in that same respect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Melee Mega Man. Yeah, basically, if you go... <clears throat> From the elements that it borrowed of the other games, though, it's just great that it really it forces you to use them first, so that then you can familiarize yourself in a safe environment. Like yeah. uh, in the in the the first level of Shovel Knight, you jump. There's a certain pit that you're gonna have to jump down, and it's safe to jump down it, but it's blocked by one of those dirt blocks. So you're gonna have to learn the down or the functionality of the of the jump oh, the and hit down digging? Yeah. exactly. Uh, this part, there's no other way to get through it without figuring that out. And like I said, it's in a nice, safe environment, so there's nothing else really distracting you. You focus on how the hell do I get through this. There's nothing else to take your attention. You learn it, you retain it, and then in a couple of screens later, now you're going to have to pra- put it to practice alongside the challenge of enemies being down there. Yeah, I think that that's... Uh... Probably the best way for younger people to learn how to play these games. Um, another uh, older example that I wanted to, to, to give you was um, Doom, like the very first Doom. This is this is something that's no longer quite as applicable with the uh, advent of auto-regenerating health. But in the original Doom, if you got hurt, you, you stayed hurt until you found a health pack, you know? This was actually the norm for first-person shooters, really, until like Halo, Halo. And, and Call of Duty. Yeah. They they made regening like the standard staple for first-person shooting. Um, but as, yeah, as I was saying, if you got hurt, you you basically needed to find a health pack, and this 
this made the the gameplay design completely different because you weren't just going down a corridor of enemies shooting them all up. No, this time you're exploring the levels, you're exploring the worlds that they make for you because of a necessity. You know, you're dying. I'm going to not go down what I assume is the ending hallway. I'm going to go back and look for some health. And you might find a secret or two. You might find a better weapon. You might find that health pack. But that that sense of accomplishment you get by discovering things that nobody told you were there, you went and found them because you needed something and it just, you just happened upon it. You happened upon it. It it definitely added something to the, the value of the item. You know, like, this is mine because I found it. I, I didn't need it, but I... This is a nice surprise. And nowadays, you you don't really necessarily see that unless they're specifically hidden, like, Easter eggs, which, I mean, are all the rage nowadays, but, like, it's not, for me at least, it's not as fulfilling as finding a secret because, oh, I needed something over here, and, and surprise, this is what I found instead. Um, a good example, I think, of a game that that is not necessarily informational out of necessity is, uh, is fighting games. Uh... You have, like, Marvel vs. Capcoms, Street Fighters, Tekkens, uh, Injustice. Um, all these games, they they give you up front what you need to play the game, but they don't give you everything. And that's something that people have been digging through forever. People are still playing Super Smash Bros. Melee. I found out that Donkey Kong in, uh, I believe it's for the Wii U version of Super Smash Bros., they just discovered a combo called the Ding Dong for him. That's very effective, <laughs> and it it actually brought the character up in ranking because it's so effective. So, how f- long ago did that game come out? Forever ago. And yeah, people are still finding combos on it on a game that was already getting played obsessively the week it w- it came out. Yeah, it's people. Everyone's pouring over it, and they're still finding things. These games they need to be vague in order for people. The people that go looking for this information are the ones that are contributing it to it uh, later on. Yeah, one of the important things of fighting games is their community. For a fighting game to last long, it's it's required that the community stay active. And in order for that to happen, you can't hand over everything, every bit of information and every little thing over these fighting games. Learning them and overcoming them sorry, learning these combos and then overcoming your own little personal quirks to get the advantage over your enemy is a massive facet of fighting games, which is one of the reasons uh, throwing this on the deep end, having a game like this or or having games like fighting games not tell you anything to begin with, it's, it's not a bad thing. It seems like it's something that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. When it comes to a game like this. And some would say it's necessary. Um, but a game, like, if you're looking at, for a prime example, especially in recent days or recent years, the Bloodborne slash Souls uh, series, that those games are punishing and unflinching in their difficulty. Mm-hmm. These, these games don't even tell you the lore unless you're really looking for it, you know? Um, these games barely tell you how to do anything. Yeah, they kind of just tell you, oh, here's your equipment, good luck, bye. I tried Souls 1, and I, I personally did not like it from the get-go. Uh, like, I, I already wasn't a big uh, fan of attacks you can't cancel out of. Then, on top of that, there's a... 
I hate like the, the the argument back is always oh what you want your hand held you want it to tell you everything I want it to tell me fucking something I just got <laughs> taken <clears throat> I woke up as a zombie killed a fat lizard thing and then I got taken by a big ass crow to what is known as the fire shrine link what <laughs> nowhere like I mean some people tell you some very very vague things but again they're very very vague things it, it, that I personally didn't enjoy that obviously unpopular opinion based on sales and numbers. <laughs> yeah, uh, I kind of the same way. I played Dark Souls 2. I got through a few bosses, and I understand where the sense of accomplishment comes from. You know, you, you throw yourself at a boss again and again. You find something that finally clicks, and you finally kill it, and it's the best feeling in the world. And then you get to the next normal enemy, and it's tougher than the boss <laughs> that you just killed somehow. Um the games, those games are not for me. <laughs> I like difficult games. I don't need them to, like, make me question my life. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I understand why people like them. You know, I, I don't, I'm not saying that any, like I said, none of these games are bad. They're just for different people. They, you know, people have opinions. I think Souls is bad, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you're bad. <laughs> um, okay, but no, uh, no. Another series, um, I was talking earlier about Zelda, which started off very deep end, then it moved into hand-holding, and now it's, now it's in a good middle ground. Uh, I wanted to start with a series this time that started in the deep end, like uh, the Fallout series um, or the Elder Scrolls, which you, you're basically thrown into the world. And the older games were text-based adventures or very, very graphic light. They weren't incredibly... The, the 3D vibrant worlds that we know now. And so they were more, you had to rely on information that you're keeping in your brain to really get through the game. Uh, like Morrowind, you, you get put out into a town uh, and you're told to find a guy who lives in another town and you have to ask about where the town is and you have to find the best way to get there, which isn't always, you know, the the direct route. You might have to like take a silt strider, which is like a taxi, you might have to go the long way around because there's something in the way that'll kill you. Um, compared to nowadays with uh, Skyrim, I think that's a good middle ground. I know some people were unhappy with the quote-unquote mainstreaming of the series, but I feel like it made the game more accessible to people. Like I, I wanted to like Morrowind, I couldn't. I couldn't get super into it. But Skyrim, I, I mentioned before that I am perfectly willing to buy that game again for the Switch. Because I, it's so enjoyable to me being being put into the world. And the intro is a little lengthy, but it's not nearly as bad as any of the Zelda games. You'll get through it in maybe half an hour. <laughs> and after that, you're free to go wherever you want. And most times, I actually end up going to the same town, the same starting town, uh-huh. um, Riverwood. But after that, like, who knows? Whatever you want to do, that's that's the sky is the Skyrim is the limit. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. Um, <laughs> and then uh, like I've I said, said worse, but I'm shaking my head. Like with Horizon Zero Dawn, I think is also a good middle game where the game teaches you some things and the rest you kind of have to learn to exploit and, and figure out yourself. Uh, the quests are a good starting ground, but that's not at all where you're supposed to stop in terms of utilizing your weapons to their max potential. Um, but like I said a few times over, these are all just my opinion. You know, Some people enjoy having their more uh, informative companions telling you, Constantly, what what needs to be done or what each item is. Some people don't. Some people 
Some people don't even play Call of Duty for the story, so that's completely irrelevant for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they play against other people, which that is less, you know, handholdy. That'll just no. De- that is, the, I mean, where Call of Duty might be one of the extremes for handholding. Their multiplayer, at least, yeah, is, uh, yeah. Good luck, bye. And then on top of that, you get yelled at by strangers calling you horrible things sometimes. <laughs> Undertale strikes a good middle ground between hand-holding and the deep end while at the same time satiring both. Um, You got the tutorial with literally a character named Toriel and she is literally holding your hand through most of it. Like, literally. <laughs> oh, wait, watch out for these sp- the spike trap. Here, let me help you. She runs over, grabs your hand, and then she proceeds to guide you through it. This was entirely satirical of of the over-tutorialization problem that we had, not at the time that uh, Undertale came out, more so uh, shortly beforehand. Um, It also does a really good job of, like, in those fights, you're not thrown into the deep end necessarily, but you're told, okay, if it's not colored, it's going to hurt you. Don't touch it. And with that basic rule in hand, in mind, um... Yeah, it, it, it never breaks that rule and makes sure to keep those things that you have to move out of the way of, from. Everybody calls the game an RPG. I like to call it an action an action platformer because of the way you avoid the attacks and stuff. You might go running around this overworld in a manner that is, you know, navigating in an RPG manner. Yeah. But the action, there is definitely a lot of action in it. It is definitely not just a sit there and pick my attack kind of kind of game yeah it's it it, you are very much moving very actively throughout that little tiny box that uh, that is basically you know your escape routes it's it's the space that you have depending on the attack to make your defense one of the other things that it does well is that without explicitly telling you what endings you can or can't get and without telling you what to do that uh, to get those you're still given the information to work things out. Like when you're in a fight and you want to uh, try and work things out with the quote-unquote enemy, the monster, uh, when you want to work things out, you'll start seeing things highlighted in yellow so you know, okay, you can stop trying all those other weird things now. You can end the fight now, Mercy, and that's it. You 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 solve this puzzle. So it makes it clear there without, you know, just uh, leaving you without a clue as to whether or not you finally succeeded in pacifying this particular beast. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed that part of it, especially because, um, and this is spoilers for anybody who hasn't played it yet somehow, um, at the beginning of the game when when Toriel is telling you this is how combat works, she tells you, talk to the dummy, which is never going to respond to you no matter what you do. You and and as a gamer, your first instinct is to just fight it and punch it, and it'll break and die. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you talk to it again, nothing happens because it's a dummy. So you in your mind, you're like, okay, that was kind of cute, but pointless. So when you have to go fight her, unless you're specifically like already know like I can get through this fight without killing her, you're just gonna fight because that's all you you know you know. You're gonna want to do. You're gonna want to mash the A button. Yeah, and if you mercy, for the first few times, nothing happens. So. You, the game is pushing you to kind of to support your predisposed habits of just fighting every enemy you fight in a game, every enemy you meet in it a game. It doesn't make it very rewarding immediately to follow the way the game, or at least Toriel, wants you to play. It doesn't, you're not getting, you get a lot of gold by killing people. You get more experience. 
Yeah. You don't get so much from any experience. You don't get yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the gold and no experience. So it doesn't make it immediately rewarding. Especially because you haven't built a connection with this character, but but later in the series, as you're meeting characters that you'll grow to really enjoy and love, it becomes harder and harder to just do what you think is natural and kill them. And not knowing that it is possible to go through the game without really killing any of the characters and and basically saving the world for these people. And all of this is with the basic tutorial. It doesn't take very long to get through, and from that point on, you're free to tackle the game as you see fit. But like as we've been saying, you know, there's there's not necessarily a bad game out of any of the ones that we mentioned, unless you you personally think they're unenjoyable. And that's your opinion. And just like this is our opinion that these are all in great games. You know, they've succeeded for a reason. And it's just it's interesting to see how different games handle their audience differently. Some of them will take very good care of them with like baby gloves and say like, this is how you do this. This is how you do that, that, and that, and that. Versus other games that are like, good luck. <laughs> and then laugh at you while you're throwing yourself against an enemy. <laughs> um which, like I said, it's not my idea of fun, but I understand why people enjoy these games. But we really would like to hear what our listeners have to say. So if you have any questions, comments, uh, please email us at gamegopodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can hit us up on the Facebook. You can leave comments on gamegopodcast.com on, on the article. Uh any way you can reach us, let us know. And if you enjoy what you're listening to, leave us a uh, a high rating on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're listening to this, and we would really appreciate it. Well, that about wraps it up for us today. Thank you for joining us for the fourth episode of Game Go, a podcast where we talk about video games and whatever else you feel like. Uh, I am Sonareth, and with me as always is Hate Hero. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Oh, 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 oh,